welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 288. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. Bill, we're back here. It's a rainy, rainy day. It is. Greater Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, what do they call it? Some kind of bomb? What do they call it? Uh, it's an, um, when you have a nor'easter and the, and the pressure system drops so quickly. So Hey, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what they call that. I know. I, I read it on the Weather Channel today, but I forget. Were there graphics with it? The Weather uh, Channel loves graphics. Well, I've looked online, so I didn't really get to enjoy the <laughs> weather. Uh, just I'm watching you. <laughs> Jeff Holscott's watching us. That's from Facebook. He's, he's watching us from Michigan. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, good, Jeff. Good to see you. We like that. We always like to be watched. <laughs> we like that. Any, Speak for yourself. You know, hey. <laughs> Hey. <laughs> Any uh, attention's good. Hey, attention. hey, very yeah. nice, nice. Yeah, it's a big debate last night. Yeah, I didn't. I had a meeting. I didn't um, didn't watch it. I read the synopsis. Um, yeah, I, you know, I'm. Um, I have my. I have. I'm not a full. I'm not a big Elizabeth Warren supporter yet. I mean, I think she's bright. I like her to stay in the Senate. Um, <laughs> I, I I'm actually someone who thinks the Democratic Party needs to not be too far to the left. Well, I, it's very interesting. Like Amy Klobuchar last night said, at least Bernie admits that it's going to like help his health. Yeah. No, like I like her. I like Amy Klobuchar. Yeah. It's just interesting. Like that you have this kind of thing that, that everybody's just, we're just going to keep taxing first that the wealth tax is probably not constitutional. Yes, you'd right. have to make a yeah. you'd have to make an amendment. Nor you know, kicking the door down to take people's guns. <laughs> right, by the way, all right, who's paying Beto? Is it is Putin paying paying Beto? Uh, is he on the Trump Inc. Uh, payroll because he's saying things as if he is purposely being planted to give the Republican uh, uh, commercials. You can see those those invisible yeah. packs who. Uh, who seem to be independent but actually are run by you know, this invisible money. So Beto's gonna be Beto's gonna be a star next year during the Republican commercials. Gosh am I That could be. I mean that could yeah, it's very interesting. It's intriguing that Beto Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. He's just like um you know, I I think I liked him until I listened to him. You know. I mean I liked he kinda had that RF you know, remind me a little bit of Bobby Kennedy and the way he ran that campaign against Ted Cruz. I mean, let's face it, I don't think Ted Cruz's family likes Ted Cruz. <laughs> no, no. But then the more you hear Beto, you know, and again, I'm sympathetic. I mean, I mean, his emotional response is town being attacked. That's, uh, I mean, I certainly that's where I would be as well. But then just, you know, couldn't be good grief, green rhetoric, um, and, and you know, uh, people, you know, these these lower polling folks are about to be dropped off. Uh, so I understand it from a from a political perspective. But yeah, uh, Beto, I appreciate. Uh, what you did, kind of, but please don't talk anymore. Yeah, it's very interesting because you got to figure out how to, how to. And you know, it's interesting. Like Joe Biden only has nine million dollars on hand, and like I know, Buttigieg has like twenty million. A couple, oh, like, so it's weird if you're a front runner that can't raise money. Right. Well, I think there are kind of number of reasons for that. But uh, well, thank you, Carol. Um, we are not safe for work. <laughs> we are not safe for work. No, not safe for work. Definitely not safe for work. Not safe for work. But, uh, yeah, so I, it's interesting. I mean, it'll be, um, you know, just, you and know. Trump did tell us that the Kurds are 
No angels. Oh there my are very so, yeah, few angels. He's out. out he's just out. There's no angels. Okay. If for those, you know, just a minute. Okay. Uh, we have heard our we have heard our number one ally in the region, Israel, by pulling out like we did because Iran is stronger, Assad is stronger, the Russians are stronger, and that's not good for Israel in any of those sense. Let alone, you know, what we have done to the Kurds and also the American lives that were lost fighting alongside the Kurds and and such. Now, again, there are. There is a pocket of the Kurdish resistance that has done horrible things in Turkey. But giving Iran a free hand here and then threatening to undermine his economy, and that is an economy that's already in serious, serious trouble. So if he actually would, if Trump would actually, after he gave him the green light, and then do economic sanctions, you don't want an unstable Turkey in that region on top of everything else. So it's just insanity. He, obviously, our president knows nothing about what he's doing in that region. Didn't list his generals, didn't list his State Department, and good people that could have been helping that region move into the next decade. Something positive came out of the horrendous nature of what happened in Syria. Uh, some of those people, some of the most uh, promising leaders were killed in cold blood. So... Any rate, um, and again, so it's his, always you got to watch the late night call from the autocrat with Trump. Yeah, this no, is what John Podora no. said. He's the like, Trump is like Trump is like the guy that listens to the telemarketer. Like, ah, I got a half hour. What are you selling? Like, yeah. I mean, he 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 shouldn't be allowed to talk. Like, yeah, no, in the, the evening. The, the Syria is a very complicated situation right now. The only thing holding up Assad are the Iranians and, and the Russians, right? um, and because of their position being strengthened. Hezbollah position has been strengthened in um This is like Game of Thrones. Yeah, no, but it's but what's you know, again, all these folks who support Israel without question and uh, and allegedly our president he's even got a street named after him in uh Jerusalem, which I wanna go just to to do something. I want to go back to Israel just to have my picture taken there. Um, but Israel's in worse shape because of this. The Kurds, as a matter of fact, one of the early supporters of the independent region of Kurds in Iraq were conservative Israelis. So um, the Kurds have been friends to Israel. The whole situation is problematic. Now, again, this whole chaotic scene that's in Syria right now um, is complicated. But the fact is, there are pictures today of the Russians in our former bases that we had to hurriedly escape from because we were being, uh, the Turks' army was actually shooting uh, very near where our soldiers were. So it's a big mess. And uh, um, and a hard situation that had ended up badly has gotten worse. So, at any rate, good luck out there. They're and, not angels. Yeah. That was this big line. They're not, yeah, I know. I heard it. I heard, they're I heard, not angels. I heard what he said. I heard what he said. If Lindsey Graham was up to Lindsey Graham, we'd be there forever. Lindsey should focus on the judiciary. Yeah, well, Lindsey, you, you sleep in the bed you have made, Lindsey. You've made. Hope you could sleep at night. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I know, I know. So, anyway, Mitch McConnell seems to sleep great. Yeah, well, I mean, because you know, uh, because there's no light gets in the coffin. No, no, that's <laughs> key. He and Giuliani both. <laughs> anyway, so this gets, it gets, gets, gets. Uh, this is, I mean, but people got killed because of this. I mean, it's not. It's, I mean, I mean. Hundreds of people got killed. Well, Trump said also with the, pe- the fleeing ISIS, they'll flee to Europe. Not our problem. Yeah. Right. That's great. Right. That's great. Wait until suicide bombers go after our folks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just, uh, yeah, this is this is people, lots of people are dying now because of the the lack of any kind of, of sense of how to do, the, 
his job. And uh, and I think more people will die. So this is. Do you uh, think he kind of has the politics right though? Like I, like he the rhetoric of the hey we've got to stop being forever at war. Don't you think Americans kind of are at that place though? Like well, right. But then you know the next day you move two thousand troops into Saudi Arabia. Well, they're paying for it, which they should pay for it. They're a wealthy <laughs> I'm just, country. I'm just, I'm That's what's interesting. So basically, he's describing our troops as mercenaries. Right. They're going to pay. Like that's that's just fascinating. There right? are, I mean, like there are some situations that you you don't you end up not leaving. For instance, when was the Korean conflict over? And how, how and do we still have troops in Korea? When did uh, when did World War Two end? Okay, do we still have do we still have troops in Europe? So I, I'm just saying that um, this kind of isolationism it, it didn't it never has worked, and it only gets us um, into a larger war after the isolation period. No longer after you can no longer hide. But do you think that this is sort of a, a bed of our like it, that that kind of I think Americans would feel differently if we had not gone into Iraq the second time. Because Afghanistan, if you just are hunting terrorists, it's not the same no, kind of quagmire. Because no. it's like because we destabilized the whole region. No, no, you're absolutely no. We, we, you're absolutely right. I mean the the fact is that um, yeah, the second Iraq War. I mean ISIS exists because of. Or the second Iraq right. War. Yeah, I mean, so no, I mean, I no. mean, if you had Saddam Hussein in power, so I mean, they hate, he hated terrorists like that. They hated him. These kind of, you know, they, I mean, the secular dictators. Yeah, these kinds of groups like ISIS don't like them. They don't like ISIS. Iran doesn't didn't like Saddam Hussein. He didn't like Iran. You had all these like sort of built-in checks and balances. Well, I think there's a reason. I mean, there's a reason why a smart bomb didn't end up in Assad's palace because look where both Iraq and Libya is now with the strong man gone. Now also the Russians, you know, we'd end up maybe being at war with the Russians because they're protecting them. But I, again, I agree. We've made a total mess of, mess of the region. You can argue that 9-11 would never have happened if it wasn't for uh, the actions of Ronald Reagan after the the Marines were killed in Lebanon, and then Bill uh, Clinton's, you know, moving out of Somalia after the you know the whole Black Hawk Down thing. So, yeah, I mean, we have, you know, we're pretty consistent in our uh, approach to the Middle East, regardless of the political party not seeming to have a clue of how to be there. And uh, I go back to the Princess Bride, never getting a land war in Asia. <laughs> well, Middle Asia at any rate. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a horrific situation. And, you know, um, the, the pressure that he's under, uh, you know, I mean, it seems like he, he has done impeachable offenses, but regardless of that, the pressure of this, of him, yeah, the quality of people around him has greatly diminished. Never was great, but it's, it's, you know, who's around him now is, Amazing. It's so interesting that of all the things that have happened in this yeah. presidency, that the Ukraine call is like has some traction. It's very well, it's you, you can, well because it's so clear, and um, yeah, and it turns out that that's just the tip of the iceberg and the kind and of crazy stuff. Why would stuff you want to be pointing fingers at Hunter Biden and stuff when your kids, like all the emolument stuff, the oh hotel? I mean, it's like. You're living in a huge glass house there. But he's assuming, like he said, that he it doesn't the same standard doesn't count for him and his children. And so far, it, it, for his supporters, it's it's held up to be the case. Yeah, yeah. How many hundred? I, 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 like uh, his golf trips have cost the equivalence of 280 years of presidential salaries, something like that. 
This is golf trips alone. He used to make fun of Obama for playing golf. No, or... Well, yeah, but it, yeah, yeah. Anyway, there's no self reflection. Yeah. So I, you know, I get it. But this is again, regardless of what I feel personally about the president, I, uh, you know, it's this is this is you know, people have died because of his uh, decision that was against all uh, none of the military people. He didn't. This was none of all of the experts, the people who were there, the people who led men into combat, the people who's you know who lost men, uh, people who have wounded there, <laughs> um, people who have been studying that situation, building the alliances, none of, no one supported this, everyone against this. The soldiers on, the special forces on the ground are mortified. So it's it's bad for all, in all ways. There's nothing nothing good about Where's it. Where's Chuck Norris on it? I was thinking special he forces. Might be Delta in, he's in a senior citizen hall somewhere. He looks great. He was doing an ad for like a fitness machine. He looks good. Well, stuff. sure, sure, he looks good. Yeah. But even Chuck, you know, gets replaced. They're remaking Te- uh, Walker, Texas Ranger with somebody else. Uh, well, People are upset. We've got one. We have one more a Rambo movie. I, I did see the previous. And another Terminator movie. Yeah. Arnold was on Howard Stern. He was saying, I say to my fellow Republicans, they, uh, they think there's no climate change. I say, okay, I'll get in a room like a garage with an electric car. And you get in with a carbon, you know, a, a, right. a gas engine for an hour. We'll just hang out. All right. They, they won't do it because they know they're wrong. <laughs> Yeah, Linda, Linda Hamilton's back in this one. I saw the previous. Yeah, day. he said she's like in her sixties doing pull ups. Oh, she looked. Yeah, she yeah, looked. She said yeah. uh, she looked. Uh, she looked and uh, she looked ready to kill Terminators. Yeah. So, any rate, there's our plug. Did you see the Joker yet? I have not. Have you? No, I have not seen. No, it. no. Not the thing is, I am so. I feel like films come out so quickly, and you're like the viewing experience is so nice if you have a decent TV. That I tend to like not see. I'm going to go see The Terminator with my friend Dave, the dentist, because he, he and I both like short singer like Terminator. But I just, there's so few films I feel urgency to go see anymore because, like, they come out quickly. Right. And, you know, the only way I'll go to is in those theaters where you pick your own seat, like, like, and you're not in a bad seat. Like, basically, right. they're all, like, super nice, big reclining right. seats because it's just, like, not worth it to sit, like, there's, like, lousy seats and have your back kicked and popcorn yeah i still i mean i like the, i like the ambience i actually have well who, who no one likes their back kicked but i do like the ambience of the popcorn and the, i love the popcorn i do love the yeah popcorn. i like the whole thing but i don't i just don't go that it's often expe- it's expensive it's expensive yeah so there we go we've yeah. said it all there That's we go Sarah always say we've said it all <laughs> i want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Andrew Stravitz, Barry Stewart, Ben Crosby, Ben DeHart, Carol Clemens, Charlotte Donlin, David Norling, David Zoll, Ellis Brazil, Jennifer Spite, Jennifer Underwood, Jim Cress, Joel Wentz, John Schneider, 
Jonathan Butrin, Jordan Mossberger, Josh Redder, Kai Wittenpeg, Larry Rule, Liam O'Brien, Michael Butera, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Konauer, Sari Graham, Simone Garabedian, Stephen Rowe, and Jody Stevenson. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show. Uh, so we're, we're, uh, I can't remember what episode we are in terms of our modalism. Our, uh, well, I remember what we're going to talk about, but on our, the romance of orthodoxy, uh, we talked about Marcionism last uh, week and, uh, some of the, Contemporary, <laughs> contemporary expressions of Marcionism. So we're on to modalism. All By the right. way, we talked about the Peter Lehart thing with David Bentley Hart a little bit. We did. Peter Lehart wrote a rejoinder to David Bentley Hart, which I thought was quite good, actually. I did not read it yet, but we'll have to read I'll it. I'll send it to but you. But we are going to, you know, we are going to take up the universalist issue somewhere in the course of this study. Yeah. Um, we're going to wait till no one's talking about it. Exactly. That's, who, that's how we are. We're, we don't have any sense of marketing. It's obvious, right? But, um, well, this, this idea of modalism, which that's, um, that's Harnack gave the term to it. In the West, it was called uh, monarchianism. And in the East, it was called Sibelianism. After Sibelius. Sibelius, right. Um, but it basically is uh, kind of a blanket term for a, a number of ways in the second and third century um, that Christian thinkers try to protect the unity of of God, uh, you know, uh, and how you deal with that with um, second per or Son Christ and Christ divinity or however that relationship is. In many ways, it's a reaction to both um, Logos Christology, uh, which uh, a lot of the Greek fathers liked. It's also a reaction to kind of Irenaeus's economic Trinitarianism a little bit as well. So its its intent, if you would, is to try to defend the unity of 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 the of the divine agent, um, and a lot of times the, the language they would use is God is a monad, the, the divine is a is a oneness. Now they had, you know, what do you do with Christ then? Um, and that that's that's the struggle. And so Here we go. That's the struggle. <laughs> so. Um, how would you how would you describe monarchianism or Sabellianism? Uh, I think that monarchianism is. Uh, I mean, I think the easiest way to explain it would be like sort of the Clark Kent Superman theory of God, where really there's not really any distinction. Right. They're really just the same personality uh, with kind of the different mask on or different, you know. They're, 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 so there's not really a distinction, right? right. Uh, you know, Clark Kent jumps in the in the phone booth. Well, there's not phone booths anymore, so where does Superman change? But yeah, I think uh, uh, was it Novius who uh, was one of the early proponents of it. Actually, glorified Christ, used Christ and God the Father interchangeably. And his, when he was brought up, I guess at Rome, uh, when they brought him up saying you're teaching wrong, he says, "Well, what harm? You know, what harm am I doing glorifying Christ?" So it's kind of like that. So whether we call whether God uses the name Father, whether God uses the name Son, or whether God uses the name Spirit. Uh, it's one God, just in different in the word mode from Harnack in different modes. And then some people would have said the critique is you're crucifying the Father. Now you're saying that. Well, that was the other patri- patri- passionism was uh, one of the side things about that that they didn't you know that you so how do you protect the immutability of of, of God the Father? Uh, the other you know the other thing about it was the idea of 
it, it took on another form it took on was adoptionism. Not all of them were adoptionists, but many of them were. So the other was that somehow Christ, well, the full-blown adoptionism was Christ was a human that God's power came upon. So there, it's just a different form of that Christ wasn't fully God or um, maybe became divinized after at baptism, which, you know, that's kind of the use Mark's gospel to argue that. But uh, that's one way it went. In other words, again, what's the relationship between between the Father and the Son? And, and they weren't comfortable with some of the full—they thought the Logos stuff in some levels was too maybe philosophical. I mean, you end up in, in origin, you know, as with, with, with a person who spoke against um, Sabellianism um, or monarchism, monarch, but, um, you know, sometimes you get the language of a second god in— a middle platonic um, logos theology. So yeah, that was a problem for Sabellianism uh, because they didn't, you know, we don't worship two gods. Um, it's interesting because Schleiermacher wrote in the first version of his Christian faith, this whole like postscript on Sabellianism. And I think he was trying to think that like maybe Sabellianism, Sabellianism misunderstood. He thinks that, that the, the father, son and spirit are these three um, kind of eternal modes of being there. That's the revealed God. And and what's behind them is the hidden god. Uh, it's 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 kind of interesting to see what Schleiermacher is trying to do there. But he, I think he thinks, yeah. Well, again, part of the trouble we know. I mean, Sibelius at one point was led to say that you know it's a monad that expresses itself in a triad, and he, and and he does a play on the economic trinity. In other words, God, you know, is one, but he acts as father in certain ways. He, he and and actually, it's around both creation and redemption. So. For instance, we were talking about what are contemporary expressions of monarchianism, and one might be uh, when you, you know, an attempt to, to use inclusive language with the Trinity, you end up your Trinity becomes creator, redeemer, sustainer. That's not that's not Nicene Trinitarianism because you know, the classic view of the Trinity is all three, everyone's involved in creation. Yeah, the um, works of God at extra are indivisible. The works of God outside himself are indivisible. So the fa- the Son's the creator just as much as the Spirit's the creator in different ways. They're all creator. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, matter of fact, in you know, the biblical language actually, um, you know, the idea that the God created, the Father created through the Son. I mean, you have that in John chapter 1. So the defense for modalism, right, would be something like like anti speculative, right? That right. like that basically the God, the Bible talks about Father, Son, and Spirit, and God in these ways, but doesn't really talk about this antecedent relationship in between, you know, it, it, within God's own being, and that this is sort of you know, uh, you know, von Harnack calls it the Greek speculation on the soil of the gospel kind of thing. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know. First of all, I mean, you get it in Unitarianism, you know, the kind of the rational Unitarianism of the yeah, 18th century into the 19th century. But it showed up in oneness Pentecostalism as well, you know. And yeah, so there's T.D. Jakes is oneness Pentecostal. Yeah, so there's a sense where the Trinity, you know, you're right. There, there can be um, um, there's a suspicion, you know, uh, of the of too much emphasis on the three. Uh, I, again, I think Robert Wilkin has, has said this um, that the trouble that the early church had was that it comes out of the first century a strongly monotheistic faith. Uh, but with tritheistic um, doxology, you know, worship, and and again with with the kind of deification language of Christ. I mean, there's a sense where even we're we're not there yet. But the Arian debate, both the per- people who had a lesser Christology versus the high Christology, they all used the Gospel of John. They used the Gospel of John against each other. So 
it's uh it's it is a understandable problem and um depending on what you're trying to emphasize uh um you know another paul samasota was excused of of this idea of, of just that there really was only one god and and the, and the sun was kind of a lesser thing um it's also important to say that you it's it's hard not to find adoptionist language or not not adoptionist language but for almost all the greek and now this will certain people this will totally disagree with this but uh it seems that up until the fourth century, um, both the Latins and the Greeks spoke in kind of subordinate. Yeah, the son was subordinate to the father in some way. Um, now, it, you know, this is a <laughs> we don't want to get into the weeds on this one. Now, there's a sense where that's less of a problem in a middle Platonic framework. Yeah, and you could argue also that Tertullian doesn't do that. This is some Schleiermacher's fear yeah. of yeah. this kind of spe- Trinitarian speculation. He thinks that it always winds up subordinationist. And then you don't really have Christ as God. He becomes lesser, which right. he thinks makes the whole Christian thing fall apart. So he thinks, although he has the Trinity at the end of his dogmatics, as what he thinks is a capstone, but he thinks that what it represents is this union of God with humanity in Christ and then in the church. So you have these two different ways in Son and Spirit. Uh, which are all real experiences, but I mean, Schleiermacher, I think, almost has like a linear kind of modalism that what what kind of happens after the Christ event in the life of the church is the ongoing union of God with human in, in, in what we call spirit. Yeah, you know, I think there's an interesting thing too. Just uh, on a again, I've had the great. It's been a great privilege to sojourn among many Christianities, you know, and and be a part of many different groups. And you know, for instance, when you when you have groups that just emphasize the Father of God, and I think that's probably you know the Reformed tradition, you know, tends to to have an uh, uh, that, and I think that probably goes back to you know Calvin. Certainly, you know, the the, the majesty of God is a is a central theme. But there's something if you only if you only have a emphasis. Where you only talk about the Father or God, the Lord. Even in liberal versions of it, you know, we we used to joke at Princeton when I was there about the C word, you know, or J word. Don't you know Jesus? Don't let you, what happens with that. There's almost there was a period of time among some you know liberals that almost talk to talk about Jesus and you know, yeah, yeah, and see liberal fatherhood of God, brotherhood of man. Yeah, and all, but then it becomes you know, in some levels, modern liberal adoptionism drops Jesus out of it. And I think, you know, a lot of stuff is being anti-evangelical as well. Now, you know, that's kind of, I spent, that was kind of a second phase of my Christian life as an adult. But growing up with strong Jesus piety, there's so much, I mean, again, I would <laughs> I would argue that Jesus is the best thing we have. And so there's, 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 uh, what a friend we have in Jesus uh, was my grandmother's favorite hymn, and Jesus was her friend and that's probably still why, yeah, you know, that's why I'm a Christian today. But having said that, there can become kind of a, uh, overly familiarity. It's almost become, you know, Jesus is my buddy. Jesus is my co-pilot. Uh, I don't care if it rains or freezes as long as I have my plastic Jesus on the dashboard of my car. You I know, like that. Uh, it becomes something like that. So there can be a sense. Where... Oh, we're critiquing that. I was going to sound like that place. <laughs> oh, wait, that's, we're critiquing that. Wait, wait. Right. Uh, uh, my bad. No, I like that. I was into that. I'm into that. But no, you understand. Then God can come too small. I mean, even J.B. Phillips had to write a book. That I think there was that a lot of evangelicals read and 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 moved away from it. Your God's too small. So I think there's a sense of that. And then the people just talk about the spirit. The happy people, you know, the, our, our charismatic Pentecostal folks. I mean, it can become an overly the 
you know, the Pentecostal version of it is can be an over-emotional kind of thing, and, and it draws attention to the works of the Spirit as opposed to Spirit is to draw attention to the, the Son and the Father, as we're told in, in, in the Bible and the New Testament. The other thing is the, the liberal version of it is, you know, the Spirit is kind of, you know, Casper the friendly Holy Spirit. It's just this kind of nebulous thing out there. Spirit is whatever, spirit is whatever we want to do, whatever we feel we call it Spirit. So then it becomes actually nothing transcendent at all. So I think those are. I kind of like the sound of Casper the friend. I, I feel like I'm starting to like the sound of all the other I'm like, ah, that sounds nice. Guys. Well, maybe we should bring the this friendly to, spirit because I'm just converting, uh, converting Scott yeah, to everything that I nice. say is wrong. That's nice, it's friendly spirit. <laughs> the Holy Sprocket. The Holy Sprocket. Yeah. 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 No, I think. I mean, I also think that part of the the you know it, it, it's interesting that you know I mean part of the Trinitarian. The growth of Trinitarian theology is to explain the Redeemer, right? I mean, yes, basically, yeah. it's to explain why Christ is the divine Redeemer, you know, the, the equivalent of, or, or, you know, the successor of, of the Redeemer of Israel. Like, he plays the he plays the role we would attribute to uh, the God of the Old Testament, you know, so he's right. worthy of worship and do those things. But then also, I think there is a certain kind of thing in which, like, the one, the three, and the many idea that, like, if you look at, at Western intellectual history as mm-hmm. the the fight between Heraclitus and Parmenides, yeah. the one of the many that like somehow the idea that God is, is one and three is, it, it, I think metaphysically makes sense of a lot of reality. Like it makes sense of, a, of, of a lot of our experience. I mean, Peter Lehart does this, this kind of an homage to Augustine's book called the Trinity, which is a fantastic book. Uh, but yeah. So I do, th- I do think like there's some, there's something Trinitarian to our framework, you know, like, like if you think about philosophy, the true, the good, and the beautiful, mm-hmm. where do you start? You can't really start to figure out like metaphysics without choosing which part of reality to focus on. And there you're in value theory, right? And you can't right. be like. So I think there's something par- parachoretic about our experience that there's this interpenetrating thing where we can't discreetly get to the one without the many or the many without the one. Like so, I think there's something about that that also rings true about reality. That that I think that we're not in a kind of u- like monad, you know, monistic reality. No, I, and I also think it, it kind of redeems the, um, you know, the God who got down in the dirt. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, in terms of rather the, then, you know, I, I, we took some issue with the idea that everyone in the early church spiritualized uh, the, old, the Old Testament. Uh, I don't think that's quite the way to say it, because in many ways, uh, this idea, this... Whitehart has some origin references. He's like, origin, there's a handful of passages, a handful which he thinks only have a spiritual reading. Like, yeah, I mean, no. he, he th- I mean, it's interesting because, like, yeah. he, you know, he, he <laughs> it's no, interesting. I, I, yeah, again, I think that was, yeah, it's a gross generalization, as we said, because there's a sense where we don't have this God behind the God. In other words, if God is in essence Trinitarian, then we have this dynamic nature of love, uh, and and that all the, you know, <laughs> God getting down in the dirt uh, to. Uh, the invisible immortal one. It's all part of the, of the, of the process. Yeah, without that pre-existence of love, you wind up with a God that creates out of necessity because God's alone. Yeah, you yeah. Know, without God having having otherness in his own being, you wind up having some kind of like sense that like God needs the world as another. Yeah, and and it adds. I mean, again, I do think the Eastern emphasis it does add a whole new dimension to Christ in us that we are God within us and that we're taken into the life of the Trinity, and it has amazing implications for our, not only our spiritual life but our life together. So, yeah, God for us, with us, and in us. Yes, peace. Thanks, everybody. 
Hey listeners, thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation and will join us back here next time. Until then, thanks for listening and God bless.